District 9 is a low-budget sci-fi action film that gained much praise when it was released in 2009. It's usually remembered for its thick social commentary and surprisingly solid visual effects, and rightfully so, but there's even more to love, so let's take a look. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast and it is a celebration of sorts because this is episode 200. I can't believe how much Tara has aged since we started this show. It really is quite spectacular. <laughs> But taking my vitamins also. My hair's gotten so long. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, episode 200. We started the show in, like, what, March, April 2019. We are <laughs> now in June of 2023. 200 episodes in. And we had our patrons vote for what this episode was going to be. And it was indeed District 9. Oh, kind of the underdog, actually, because the other options were Back to the Future and Robocop. And District I'm 9 won. I'm so sure Robocop was going to win. It came last place, Tara. I'm sorry to tell you. It was tied for Back to the Future for a little while. How could it be last? Because more votes came in <laughs> and it was last. I want receipts. So, so voting works. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, uh, 2009 film, District 9, directed by Neil Blomkamp. We've somehow not done any of his movies yet on the show. Uh, obviously, this was his first, and won't be the last. We'll definitely do the others at some point, but uh, we're here for District 9, his debut, his big uh, prestigious film that got a lot of good buzz back in 2009. And we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. The basic premise of this is that it's set in Johannesburg, and a couple of decades ago... A giant alien spaceship arrived over the city. And did you get the eyelash tower? <laughs> no, keep talking. I'm going to get a mirror. Okay, I'll keep talking. So, this giant spaceship appeared over Johannesburg, and effectively it was carrying about a million or so aliens who are later referred to as the prawn because they look kind of like prawns, apparently. And. They are brought down and they're effectively put in a makeshift little little town, a slum, if you will. And this film is very much about the government organization that is trying to police them, keep them in line, and trying to exploit them for their alien technology and stuff like that. And the main character is named Wickes, played by Charlotte Copley, and he is this company man. He cares about his job, he cares about moving up on in the hierarchy. But things change when he gets infected with some alien DNA and starts to turn into one of them. And I'll leave it there. I think that's the spoiler-free, kind of just the setting, the premise. Um, we'll get into all that. But uh, yeah, so you'd seen this before, I assume, Tara. Correct. I saw it. I think I saw it in the theaters. But I definitely saw it really early. Yeah. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I saw it that year. Like, you know, it was when it hit. The, the whole market later that year I saw it. Yeah, I was still in... I think I was still in the Navy when it came out. Yeah, 2009. Um, But I want to say, like, I watched it on base at that time. I, mm. I think it was playing on military bases, too. 
Yeah, I I went into it the the first time with basically no knowledge, other than I just heard a little bit of buzz. I didn't know the director, I didn't know the premise really. Mm-hmm. I just kind of went in blind, and I mean, just to get into their general feelings here, I I left it being kind of floored by how much I loved it, and you know, we'll we'll get into that. Which I guess just leads me naturally into the question: is how did you feel watching it again, and has that wow. and has that changed significantly since? The first time you this saw it. This must be a special episode because you actually gave your feelings on something <laughs> first. <laughs> Why lie? I love District 9. Why lie about it? <laughs> Why keep it a secret? Um, yeah, I also was uh, incredibly impressed by this. I love um, that the movie opens and it's like, oh yeah, the alien showed up this time ago and we thought they would land somewhere in like New York or Chicago, but we're in Johannesburg and it's like, this is really refreshing. Like we get such a new voice. We get, uh, a, an area that of the world that we're not used to seeing on film. Um, we get a, a sci-fi movie. That's an allegory for a real life thing happening right now. And, um, and like we get an amazing lead character and actor. Like I, I wish he was a superstar <laughs> after this film because he is so legit um funny and great at this character um he just brings so much life to it and and like you see his conflictions inside and you know he is a good person but he's just like doing his job and he likes being good at what he does and um and he is good at what he does but like i don't know like he's just he brings so much levity but so much uh so much heart in it as well like it's easy to root for him when things start happening, but it's also really easy to laugh at him. Oh, and the body horror in this is really exceptional. Yeah, I I love the character as well. I think he's a character who has a little bit of humanity to start with, but he actually is quite a bad character, and that's kind of the arc of the movies, what he, you know, his mm-hmm. lessons that he learns. But then on top of that, you've got... Honestly, for a relatively low-budget movie, it was made for, like, under 30 million, something thereabouts. It looks great, and it looks... The CG mostly still holds up. Like, there's definitely times where it's got that kind of, oh, it's not really there look to it that CG can have. But even when it has that, it still feels like it's stylized enough that it doesn't feel like it hurts it too much. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a couple of things especially that almost looks like it's stop motion. It's not. It's CG. But it almost has this kind of charm to it, the way it moves, where they've, like, Blomkamp... They've been inspired yeah. by Robocop. <laughs> like, yeah, Blomkamp, whatever, like, whatever voodoo he works with his movies to get them looking the way they do, um, is, and I, I love how his science fiction looks. I love that it's grimy, a bit colorful. Like, that's how I would mm-hmm. describe it. It's very grimy, dirty, used, but colorful. There's popping color. Even the main alien that we get to know, uh, like, has, like, a red vest on, and that, like, pops. There's another one that's got yellow kind of mixed in all down his body. That really yeah. pops. There's a, there's a lot of that stuff, like, throughout. Yeah. And it, it, Johannesburg feels like a, like a dry place, too. So everything feels kind of, like, dirty and sandy and, like, um, uncomfortable. But also, like, it's not, it's not afraid to, like do this all in the daytime also like i feel like Mm. if you had um lower budget you would probably try to do a lot of things at night so you can hide special effects better but like this movie takes place almost entirely like during daylit hours like everything's really 
well lit and maybe that is like a part of the whole allegory too is like this is happening this isn't hidden yeah yeah i think it's shocking how well they show up or how well the cg holds up and it looked great mm-hmm. at the time it stuck out amongst films that were you know four five six times its budget you know this came out the same year as a lot of like 2009 i always look at is this sort of weird renaissance for science fiction and totally. i and i always go back and forth of which is my favorite of that year because there's, there's two and and it's two it's this and it's moon right and don't get me wrong i like avatar i like avatar more than most i do right <laughs> tara's making it are you upset that i'm not saying jj abrams star trek <laughs> is that what this I, thought it was, I thought it would at least be in the mix <laughs> i mean i enjoyed that when it came out but it was definitely a fourth in that list for me out of the sci-fi movies for 2009 uh, it's definitely by the moon what no you're a fool <laughs> i think what's so weird about this and moon coming out in the same year and both being excellent and me being conflicted like and constantly going back and forth of which one that i rank higher is that both are debuts from directors who have kind of went on to have like murky like careers afterwards but have never quite captured or lived up to those first movies that they made and you know that's kind of fascinating and source code was pretty good from duncan jones don't get me wrong but like, yeah, mute was a I mean, travesty, and I don't even Warcraft. No, no, no one <laughs> likes Warcraft. This is just I you. I love Warcraft. No one else likes it though. This is just a you thing. <laughs> it was made for me, okay. It was made for the fans. <laughs> oh, what a cop out answer! But it's just it's wild to me <laughs> that this year had such creativity from science fiction, and it's the two lower budget ones that I love more because they do feel that they've got the more interesting explore explorative stories that are really saying a lot and uh, moon's more about obviously like a, it's a very introspective film about a human being this is a very much about a character as well but it's about all these bigger ideas in the world and how we treat each other and how we treat people or in this case treat you know aliens because they are quote-unquote different um in fact this, this the thing is is that i think one of the posters actually just says on it like like the the question that, that lays up for the film is, but what would we do to them? Because most you know alien movies where they come down in a big ship, Independence Day, mm-hmm. whatever, it's always oh, what they're going to do to us? They're going to you know blow everything up. They're going to enslave us. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But the poster for this says, what would we do to them? And that is a fascinating question. Where you go into this movie, where unquestionably the humans are the villains, <laughs> and that is fascinating. And much like the setting that you brought up, it makes it feel so refreshing and different. And I don't think anything's really quite captured, like, the qualities that this film has for me and its time since it came out. Um, and it's, mm. you know, I, I think it's a great science fiction film. I think it's a perfect story from start to end. Um, people always talk about a possible sequel someday, but I think, well, you could do that. I don't think it's remotely necessary because the story the movie's telling is done. It, it made its point and it doesn't need a sequel, even though there's an obvious door that you could go through to do a sequel. I think, um, I, yeah, I think I read that there was one in the works. Is that not, like, set in stone? When was this? Was this, like, recent or? No, honestly, it was, like, when I went to Letterbox and I saw that and IMDb <laughs> and I typed in District and then District 10 pops up with a poster. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think it's like a real thing. Maybe one day it will be, but I don't think it's real yet. 
Um, everything's on straight just now anyway, so <laughs> nothing's... Yeah, it's happening for a while anyway. Uh, I was trying to look up um, uh, my roommate is actually a uh, like he works in marketing for films, like he does the trailers and stuff like that, and I know he worked on the District 9 one and I think he came up with like the, the tagline during the trailer like they're not blank they're not blank and then goes they're not human or something like that okay. it's like one of his proud things that he has he likes to tell people <laughs> very neat very neat sorry i can't sorry i can't f remember what it, the actual tagline was <laughs> yes maybe not demonstrating how memorable it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry. And, and also you know you mentioned how good copley is copley is fantastic and he kind of like is the the glue that makes all this come together um because of how good yeah. that performance is as as wickis so yeah I, i'm excited to look work through this and talk about like everything that's in it because I, I do think it's a very rich film that satisfies both my desire for a good story that's well crafted and good science fiction themes but also satisfies that part of me that wants good action because the action in this when it kicks off and the entire third act Obviously, it's much smaller in scale to your big, you know, AAA blockbusters, but I find it, like, more satisfying than most of them because it, it, mm -hmm. it sets up some simple things and it pays them off with cool action. Um, and I will never tire of seeing, seeing human heads explode. <laughs> I will never tire from it. There is some really good body horror stuff in here. Lots of goo. Lots of, lots of goo, lots of blood spatter. Lots of bags of goo that we all know humans are. Yeah. And also, I love that it's R-rated as well. I love Because it feels like it yeah. would be sugarcoating this to not have them shouting F-bombs and stuff. Because it's like, yeah, you would be in this situation. Like, that's the extremeness of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I love District 9. So, um, what a choice for episode 200. It's a bit weird that it wasn't Robocop or Back to the Future, given that those are definitely bigger movies, uh, pulp culture-wise, but... Hey. And they both start off franchises. And they both start off. We've got enough franchises plates spinning though. So that's a we blessing. We do. We do. Yeah. So it's a blessing. We've got we've got more apes Thanks, movies Patreon. to do. We've got God, yes. We've got Star Wars movies to do. Um we got we get tons of things in the works. Then bonus episode wise, we've got mimic sequels, at least one more species sequel. <laughs> we have got tons of shit. Yep. So yes, lots of stuff happening. So um, is there anything else we want to say? I like the music. I suppose I'll set up before we get into spoilers. Um, it's not super noticeable early on, but it really comes into it a bit more as it goes. And there's that kind of like, uh, not, not chanting. That's not the word I'm looking for. But like the, you know, that solo kind of vocals, like, uh, almost religious sounding kind of mm -hmm. like type of song. Just yeah, yeah, like a, mm, like a chant. I mean, maybe that, that's that's what I said that I I didn't no. want to call it, but yes, <laughs> maybe that is the best word for it. Maybe that is the only word for it. I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's a musical term for this type like of singing, a, like a prayer. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> that was probably a horrible interpretation of it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, no, I understand. So, yeah, um, I like it too. I think some of the filming is a little bit like we need to make this feel kind of documentary-esque which mm. is fun when they incorporate all that but then when it's when it's clearly not a documentary anymore and it's just you know showing us the just a regular camera like it's still shaking a lot and 
I find that to be like, maybe steady out a little bit, but I do ultimately like how the story is told through a lot of um, how we're seeing it through the media. Yeah, in the, Johannesburg, and it's basically a, a tool to like do a lot of exposition at the start because there's a lot to explain with the the yeah. status quo of the world, and that they do that through all these interviews at the start and the news stuff. Um, and I actually do appreciate that, even though that stuff like fades away for the most part for most of the movie, it comes back a little bit at the end, of course, but it fades away. But I think keeping that documentary looking style to the way it shoots the scenes is a way to make it feel like it is all very cohesive, even though it doesn't stick to that I, I remember thinking of this movie you know we, we did an interstellar already but i remember when interstellar came out and it started off with interviews and that i'm like but you're doing district nine come on nolan we did <laughs> um and sure enough that movie felt like it didn't need those you know that was like one of the biggest complaints we had like because interstellar is great i love interstellar even more so the last time we watched it but my one critique was it's, it's so easy to forget that they're in there i know like it just whereas <laughs> with this one i remember some really good little moments from those interviews i remember like when they bring something up or they're explaining something mm-hmm. or you know like i i and you know the, and it's important that even though we don't know wickis is going to be the important main character yet i mean you know if you know mm-hmm. the actor but it's important in the context of the movie that he's the first one we see so we see him sort of setting his interview up first and then it goes off in interviews of, you know, we see clips from tons of people before it goes back to him but it normally yeah. starts with him and it shows you a little bit of his humanity because he's sort of cracking jokes because he's, he's like nervous about the camera and he's trying to fix his mic it's just it's like we're going to humanize him because the next like half hour is going to kind of make him a monster right who has to grow mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to like do that um yeah, I think I guess I also uh, appreciate having the um, the news footage in there for the type of allegory this is, because mm. most people, I imagine that this message is for are for people who are living in Johannesburg or South Africa at, during or after apartheid, and then like looking at the news at the slums and thinking, you know, this is this is. Um, uh, we don't we we don't want this around here. So having drawing those being able to draw those parallels, I think, is important to include uh, the the news angle of that, since most people yeah. consume media like that. And I think what's good about it as well is that it's obviously very specifically about that in Johannesburg in South Africa. But the actual like key qualities to it and the messaging that it's saying is universal, and that you know it's all about how we treat people, yeah. and it's all about how we treat people who we see as different. And how we look down on them and things like that. So, uh, I mean, uh, there's a there's a parallel, an easy parallel in Los Angeles right now to the homeless crisis, mm. you know, and just how people, people's different perspective on it. Like it's clearly terrible, but like people can be so cruel when they really come down to how they feel. Yeah. About citizens, you know. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll give the spoiler the warning so we can d- dip into it and uh, talk about all the stuff that that goes on. Um. I think the the opening, obviously, we said is like all the interviews, and the, so this is just a good place to say here's the the, the basics at the start of the movie, uh, which we've explained some of just in the premise. But um, the, the ship showed up twenty years ago. It hovered there for a bit. They eventually went in and they brought down all the aliens that were there into this slum like region. But we see that like around the city, even though they're technically supposed to be walled into the slum, like people have signs up saying no, you know, prawns allowed and things like that, and I even feel bad saying prawn because they make it very clear quite early on that this is a, yeah that's supposed to be derogatory. Yeah, this is the derogatory <laughs> term, but it's this unique thing where 
we never get the real name of the species. We don't know what to call them other than prawns, so that's just what they are. But um, <laughs> it's really interesting. I, there's so much to set up here at the start of this, though, that I love. I love that they've given them all these human names that they didn't ask for. So, like, the main alien we get to know is Christopher Johnston. That's clearly not his name. <laughs> yes. But that's what they've given him, so that's what he's called. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most blandest name you can think of. <laughs> I don't know. Second, I'll I'll say John Smith is the most bland, but it's it's close. It's, <laughs> they probably ran out of John Smith. Yeah, yeah, they probably had to add like ten John Smiths. They have to start diversifying a bit. <laughs> um, and we set up, you know, the was it the MNU, which is what uh, uh, Wickis. That's what he works for, and he is excited that he's heading up this project, which is to go into the District Nine, the slums. And basically, hand out the the twenty four yeah the twenty four hour notices that they're all being evicted and moved to District Ten. Um, so we see him like prepping for this. We see him; he's like training like a young guy who's going to take his old job. Um, who I noticed in the early interview, he's wearing that you can see the orange like uh, jumpsuit at the prison uniform. Yeah. So you don't really find out until the very very end why he's in a prison uniform, but it it does. It's like it's for, it's for a good reason though. For the audience's perspective, he does a heroic thing. But um, so we set up that we set up that we've got this like privatized military, uh, which is a thing that's in a few of Blomkamp's films. He's clearly very critical of uh, privatized military who are who think they're big shots. Um, I imagine so. So and we see the main good like bald guy. He like picks on Wickus and like threatens him at one point here because Wickus is saying they're breaking the rules by taking in too much ammo um which is important for his character and his growth i'll talk about that more later when we're talking about like his whole overall arc but um yeah wickis in this early part where they go into the slums which is a great you know like following them in the cars and then seeing them go around and do their rounds where they're trying to like serve these papers and get them to sign something like like every single bit of it is like oh god wickis why are you so horrible <laughs> like every because the first one he... it's so it's so funny though. oh it's, it's very <laughs> funny yeah because he and i think part of like let's be honest the south african accent is is quite a, a likable accent it's yeah it's a very gentle accent <laughs> i guess it's, it's very close to new zealand in that way where you're just like yeah you're sweet yeah <laughs> but he, the first alien they go up to um is like hey do you want to sign this we'll give you some cat food because the aliens the, the prawns love the cat food for some reason yeah it's like it's legit drugs to yeah. them. um and basically the alien just like slams the pen onto the pad and he's like that counts that's that's a signature he touched pen to paper mm -hmm. that counts and it's like oh that's a bit like these aliens clearly don't understand and that's one of the other things to set up as well is that for whatever reason all the aliens from the ship that came down are all at the working class like, you know, they're basically all the lower tier aliens and they don't really know why or how, but like all of the uppers, all the people who actually ran the ship, the intelligent aliens, they all seemingly died somehow. And that's kind of like what makes Christopher Johnson interesting is that either he's like the only survivor of that those types of aliens or he is someone who has risen up to the challenge of like trying to fix their ship. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. We don't really get his background. Yeah, which... It's, it lets you theorize and i think because they give you everything you need with him because you sympathize with him you care about him and his son you know you you get all that stuff yeah he's got he's got an adorable little prawn baby yeah. um and speaking of pro it is cute speaking of prawn babies uh i don't know if it's the next evil thing that wickis does but we have to talk about this i did not remember yeah. this dark ass scene <laughs> me neither actually so he takes his like he's uh 
uh what was the word apprentice that's the word i look for he's apprentice up to he's like oh hey we found a we found a nest of the babies because they hang the dead cows over the, the their eggs and they drip down and you know whatever he's like but they're not allowed to breed though we have to keep you know they don't want them spreading and multiplying obviously so they want to control yeah. their their birth rates so he's like yeah so here this is how you like kill one of the eggs and he like pulls out some of the, the tubing <laughs> and he's sort of laughing about it. he's like hey there's your first abortion uh apprentice man <laughs> and i'm like this is so dark and then it gets worse because he's like it would take too long to like you know individually like do this to all the eggs so we just take a flamethrower to the to the building this is what needs to be done and it's on fire and i'm just like this is horrific. Yeah, I think he says that you have, like, they have to have a permit or something. Because when he sees the little boy yeah. um, with Christopher Johnson, he's like, do you have a permit for him? And he's like, yes, yes, don't kill my kid. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the scene's really interesting also because it's kind of shot like the show uh, Cops in a little way, mm. going up and, like, interviewing um, where people are just like, I don't understand what's going on. Or like, well, I'm in charge, so it doesn't matter or um yeah they're all i think he's, they're all kind of like that all these like like little alien houses they go up to are all like that i think like you say this cop yeah. style of like them going up and talking and they clearly don't understand and he notices that christopher johnson's smarter because when he goes up to talks to him he's like oh this one's brighter we can't trick him with cat food like we're gonna have to like he basically tries to threaten his son and be like hey you know your son there like he's living in a dangerous place here with you actually maybe i should need to take mm-hmm. him so again, Wickus being evil for the good of the company, for the good of corporate, for yeah, it's probably what he's been taught too. Like he's really proud of being good at his job, and you can you can kind of see like the the arrogance he has when he shows up at this place because we've seen the prawns like destroy people very easily. So they have to feel like they're really they have to really be oppressed <laughs> or like <It's> actually <laughs> you know that reminds me the uh the apprentice is like do i get a bulletproof vest and he's like oh there's, there's none <laughs> left you'll be fine don't worry about it i'm like that's easy for you to say wickets <laughs> gunfire immediately <laughs> when they step out of the helicopter too <laughs> so, but yeah like i like his uh his like hubris where he's just like i'm just gonna walk up to these to these prawns and like i'm in charge and they, he talks down to them even though they're they're like towering over him and you know they're so much stronger than him but he still um he still has all this confidence uh because of the class system he doesn't see them as like a threat to him you know because he he knows he has power over them and he's always had that like he's never ever feared them he's so kind of set when he's talking to christopher's son he's like hey you little nipper here's a sweet for you and then obviously he throws the lollipop back at his face and he's like ah you mother effer you little shit like how dare you uh and like he immediately changes his chin but i do want to point out that all throughout this like he is constantly funny to watch doing this stuff even though what he's doing is is evil and dark horrific and it's worse than most things in real life right like it's that it's it's the it's the movie part of it where they can go it's the idea that if if the people that that were being treated like this didn't like weren't even human like they would get away with even more because it's like, oh they're not even human like 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 this mm-hmm. yeah burn their egg sacks and and like you know against their will and not let them do anything like all of this yeah we have to control the the breeding we have to control the numbers yeah it's it's awful it's 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 uh so you very quickly start to sympathize and when he's going around talking to other aliens uh they set up the guns and how the humans can't use their weapons 
which is something that the the big you know corporation that's doing all this that works with the military they want to like figure out how to use the weapons but human dna the skin just won't trigger it um and there's also like a gang who operates inside district nine who are also like trading and selling stuff to the the prawns and getting weapons from them and they want to be able to use them so it's setting up all these key players uh which and all this stuff all pays off wonderfully in the third act because they've set up all this stuff so that when everything goes down later it's like it's it's chaos with a reason and i i I appreciate that um but while he's going out doing his rounds like this and uh you know there's a bit of an action scene uh with one of the, the aliens grabbing their gun um we get introduced to Christopher looking for something with his son and his friend, right? And when Wickes comes to, like, the friend's house, this friend ends up going outside and getting killed, right? Because he fights back. An evil, bald military man comes in and kills him. And, you know, Christopher's watching from around the corner and he's quite upset. And notably, they've had, like, so he's been, they've been looking for something for years. Like, literally, it's taken 20 years to assemble a plan to, like, get back up to the ship and leave. And there's this fluid that's in a canister that's in his friend's house, which uh, Wickes gets to. And it's this that he opens and it sprays in his face. And that starts his transformation. Um, but So that's the big MacGuffin of the movie. And that's something that will come back. But I like that it cuts to... Because one thing we've not even mentioned yet is that the aliens, like, they all have subtitles. Like, we, we get to see what they're talking mm-hmm. about. And they're, you know, they're interacting. Yeah. They have the wookie thing where people seem to understand them, but they also understand English, yeah. but they just can't speak it. So they, they can't speak each other's language, but they understand it. Yeah. And later on, I appreciated at one point he says something quite fast and Wickes is like, oh, can you slow down with the clicks there? I, I thought you said three years. Uh, you know, like I, I appreciate <laughs> that there's like, yeah, okay, we understand that he is listening to the clicks. That's what he's... Yeah. He's not just hearing magic English somehow that we are not. There, There's, you know... They're trained to actually understand some of this, which is yeah. which is cool. So, um, yeah, yeah. This entire first like half hour is like so effective in like setting up this world, setting up how bad it is, all these things that Wickes is doing. And I, I guess the thing that I really want to get to with Wickes here, other than just obviously that he is not treating these aliens as humans at all, he is completely awful to them. Is that he has kind of a sniveling little coward right you know like when he tries to challenge the military guys and they just put him in his place i think one of the genius little things about the movie is that he doesn't like necessarily realize early on that he's kind of down the food chain himself and the human side Mm -hmm. of things where there's these other humans that are above him that are just using him the military guys but then also his father-in-law who is like the ceo of the company which we're not even mentioned yet I love how actually when it says he got a promotion, it cuts to the father-in-law CEO. And it's like, the fact that he's married to my daughter had nothing to do with him getting a promotion. <laughs> like, yeah, all right. Yeah, but it seems also like his father knows that this promotion means he's going to be put in more, in like imminent danger a lot of the time. He's expendable, yeah. So, yes, I think it's also a little bit, you married my beautiful daughter. And you do not deserve her, so you're going to get this promotion, which is disguised as, like, you know, possible death. Yeah. And so many people die in District 9. Yeah. I, I think that's such a smart job of, like, just how much he believes in the system and that what he's doing is right and justified. And he's mm-hmm. 
he really cares about doing it but he cares about doing it of course to for his own gain because he's happy that he's moving up the ranks you know when he gets the promotion he he, got, he, you know, he stands up and says oh i'm taking the big stage and he shakes the boss's hand and it's all very it, it's got that like office space kind of fake niceness sort of quality to it yeah you know no i understand uh so uh really really dig all that um so do you want to talk about how disgusting it is when he starts to change <laughs> yeah it's pretty nasty <laughs> i think it's really good body horror i mean it, it reminds me of like i guess the most obvious comparison would be the cronenberg fly film because that one has a similar transformation style where things are becoming more insect-like and like if that's the case you don't need fingernails you don't need all your teeth and <laughs> it doesn't get quite as nasty as the fly does but mm. like it is really visceral i, I mean still. the fingernails and... coming out did make me look away a little bit it's it's pretty nasty really yeah yeah that's good pretty nasty yeah obviously he's he's got his arm because he gets injured in one of the fights early on and uh he's got like a, a cast on like a sling and when he takes it off at, like at the hospital later after he blacks out there's like a you know a pincer <laughs> instead you know <laughs> and he's like ah! yeah and he starts freaking out and it's it's worth mentioning like the doctors for this company like immediately just like oh like we have to like treat him like he's a specimen that could spread and then once they realize that he's not going to spread immediately it's like how can we use him to like how can we exploit yeah. this yes maybe this is like he's no longer human anymore so now it's just well, this is what we need. This is our key. This is the thing that we've been looking for. And they talk about, like, using him nose to tail <laughs> pretty much, right? Like, it's, we can we could even crush his bones and use that for, <laughs> like, DNA or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, this is after the testing stuff, but they basically say he's going to keep transforming, and that's bad for us. But right now, there's a perfect balance of human and alien, so maybe we could make, like, a serum to give to, like, soldiers so they could use our the, the alien tech. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like, but the first probable real moment of humanity outside of just like some little nice qualities that make him feel more human is when they're forcing him to fire the guns and he's like, no, F you, I'm not firing them. And they're just putting up like dead pigs and stuff for him to shoot at. And he's like, he doesn't want to comply. And he's begging for his father-in-law to like, you know, help him and not do this to him. Uh, and he's like, no, you're just, you're just a tool to him now. You're just a product. Um, but yeah. they eventually bring out a prawn. They bring out an alien with a target on its back, and immediately. And this is probably the first time you start to think, oh, maybe he is actually good deep down. Like he's not, he's not soulless. He's not hopeless because he's like, hey, like no, like I'll, I'll shoot the pigs. Like bring the dead pig back out. Like I don't need to shoot, shoot the prawn. I don't need to shoot him. Right? Like let's not do this. Mm-hmm. And they just keep electrocuting his arm so that his finger, <laughs> like you know, tenses up. And uh, of course, the alien explodes, and yeah, it's like a really sad moment. Not after like going through a huge amount of terror and stuff, where you're even us watching it's like, don't, don't do it, you know? They do because <laughs> not that we haven't had it already like empathy for the prawns at this point, but like that was a really sad moment. Well, I think the beautiful part of it is that like they're treating the prawns awful, like from the start of the movie, but this is the moment where. Mm-hmm you realize they're treating him just as bad, if not worse, than they're treating the prawns now, right? Like, this, this yeah. is now he's been... Whether or not he's ready to accept it, and he's not, because, he, for, you know, a lot of the movie, his goal is to try and fix himself and, like, go back to being human. But this is really the first sign where he's kind of starting to, like, sympathize with the prawns, and it's it's a big moment, and 
they're going to cut him up and of course he's able to like break free and he goes on the run uh which leads to a whole section of the film where he's like on the outside he's stealing phones he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to buy fast food at his fast food place and on the news they've decided to run a story to explain how he exists to the public which is that he screwed one of the aliens which like they they make a point of mentioning that there's interspecies prostitution at the start so there's been lots of at least presumably female humans that have been taking some prawn <laughs> if you will that that's what it's that's what it showed anyway yeah. so yeah so and none of them have shapeshifted <laughs> <laughs> so but no apparently he is shifted which maybe you could like could you kind of like say this is not, not like a, a super in-depth one but could you kind of like slightly relate this to like an std and aids and like the the demonization of like mm. of like gay people because of aids yeah i suppose you could um like <laughs> i mean the, the picture that they use for it though is just absolutely ridiculous oh, yeah. like they have they have photographic evidence or it's like a graphic that's made up for the news channel and it's not um, I mean, clearly, it's the both are made up in my scenario, but like, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the photograph is meant to be fake. Like, it's you know, something the news has made up for the purpose of the story, as opposed to for, for the yeah, headline of as it. As opposed to here's an actual photograph of the of the deed <laughs> that we yes. have of him. Yeah, or because also you know made yeah, up. It, like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so. It's hard for me not to just see that and laugh, but you may be right. There might be a deeper angle here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that's like one of the weird... I mean, you're probably right also where it's just like, this is a separation. This is why you shouldn't intermingle. This is like, I think that's part of the, the interesting charm that I don't think about as much with this movie is just how good it is at being funny a lot of the time, even though I would never call it a comedy. And I think all of its strengths mm -hmm. lie elsewhere, but it is this like constantly humanizing part of it is like how funny... Wickus can be when he's reacting like over the top to something or if he's scared mm -hmm. and not in a way that you're laughing at him necessarily like you, you may be at your art first a little bit but there's always that human tether and i think that's where the performance of charlotte copley is so layered because he's making you laugh in a way that you're kind of laughing at him but you're always kind of like seeing him as a human being who you're sort of seeing become a better person because he's starting to sympathize more with the people he was helping uh you know, like I one of my favorite little lines of the movie is you know he sneaks into District Nine because no one's going to go looking for him there, and he ends up back with uh, Christopher Johnson and his son, and the son takes a liking to him and stuff. But it turns out that this part of the ship that fell down years ago was under his shack. He built his shack on top of the this like little like basically like a shuttle for the ship, and it's like mm -hmm. oh if we like an escape pod yeah. yeah if we can get this back up there he can get the ship going and do whatever he could even fix wickus he could reverse it and he's like oh, okay that's great let's do it he's like okay where's my goop where's my canister of goop that i had at the start of the movie and wickus is like oh we confiscated that and it's back at the you know the headquarter building and he's like shit well and there's this really sad scene where christopher johnson's sitting with his son and he's showing him like the the leaflet for district 10 and he's like hey that we'll, we'll have to move here now and that might be our tent and my favorite line of the whole movie well one of my favorite lines there's a couple that later on that i really like too is where wickes comes in and says you don't want to move there it's basically a concentration camp i think that line is such a good line because it's so blatantly honest but it's also him kind of admitting what that is and like it feels like a, a self-realization for him as well 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, people talk about, like, what... Uh, like, what we should do with refugees or what we should do with the homeless problem and stuff. And it's like, well, we should give them housing. And well, that's not fair or whatever. And it's like, you know, what if, what if it was you? Like, what if you, what if there's something happens and like, and you need help from the government and they turn your back, their back on you and, and put you in something like this, you know? And it's, it could be, you know? Nobody expected the Ukraine thing, and now all those people need help. And yeah, are yeah. they going to be second-class human beings because of that? You know, I, and what you know, you don't know what's going to happen, and it, you could just be really down on your luck, or get in a back injury or something, and get put on opioids, and all of a sudden you have a problem. You know, and so so much. Who knows? Yeah, so much <laughs> science fiction is about empathy. Like so much of it is. Yeah, and you know, this one is is coated with that theme and yeah totally you know basically there's uh, throughout this like last like middle part of the film like uh wickis is trying to be phone his wife and his wife's not like a, like his wife's important as a character for him but she's not like a, a character character for us you know she's not that in-depthly written but you know he clearly cares about her and he's trying to phone her like for a long time and she eventually calls him uh because he stole this guy's phone and basically she's you know He's begging her to, like, the, the, the sex stuff with the aliens is not true. In fact, I love, this is just, like, one of his funny lines. He's like, I would never engage in pornographic activities with a pro. <laughs> Which I just thought was a really funny line. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> I just, I, I like it because he, he's, he's saying that, but pornographic doesn't, like, <laughs> it doesn't really mean uh, exactly what he says. Like he's, yeah, it's, it's either, like, his innocence coming out a little bit or, like, um, Maybe that's just how they talk in South Africa. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just it's like it wouldn't be pornographic if you did it. It would be pornographic if like you watched it or you recorded it or you know, so on so on. Um but then again the newspapers have this photograph, so <laughs> maybe I don't know where it crosses over into that. But Right. Um but like he, he has this phone call with the wife and she's like, No, I believe you. Um and she clearly like doubts that her father is like a good person. There's like one scene with that her and her dad where he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, he's like he's probably a lost cause, you should move on and she just has this look at him like, You prick. <laughs> I know who you are, like you've done this. But she says well, he seems a little, a little inconsistent about what's happened to him also. Yeah. So she's yeah. probably picking up on that a bit. But she says on the phone that yeah she does love him she she you know she she's not giving up on him, and this is like the motivation he needs to be like come and say hey no don't go there that's a concentration camp we have to get your space group, and he's like well <laughs> how you said it was in the in the headquarters yeah. yeah and he's like okay let's get some weapons so he goes to the the gang right the the gang who's like been trading and like collecting these weapons, and he tries to like buy some weapons. And they realize who he is because he's been all over the news. And they set up early on in the film that some of these gangs like are kind of superstitious and they think that they can get powers from eating the aliens and they want to eat his arm. Uh, so they're going to cut it off. But Wickers fights back. But most importantly, he grabs one of the alien guns, which they don't really have like that secure because no one can fire it. So it's not really that threatening. Yeah, they're just toys at yeah. this point. Uh, but he grabs this gun, and I love that it sends like a shockwave, and like the guy it hits like goes flying through the the shack wall <laughs> into the air. 
it's quite the stun gun. Yeah. It's it's quite wonderful. These are very science fiction weapons. Uh, very. Yeah. yeah, and like, it, you know, and we've not really delved on it too much, but one of the big themes of this movie is the exploitation and how much of this is fueled by the government in this company wanting access to these weapons, and they're going to do anything, including cut up uh, Wickis, to be able to use them, because this is such a money-making... So again, there's a lot of, like, commentary here on uh, weaponry and, you know, production of that stuff. Yeah, exploitation and all that. So... He he fights his way out with this weapon and a bag of guns. He gets another big alien weapon for for Christopher, and we get and, that, and honestly, from here to the end, this movie is just like a, an excellent action movie. Like you, you don't you wouldn't necessarily think that with the budget going in, but it's them as a team going in with these alien rifles and just like it, like the one Wickes is using for this part of the movie. It sends like an electric bolt that just makes heads explode, or in some cases, entire humans explode, and. They, they set up like an explosion <laughs> to go into because uh, there's a bit of hubris on the military guy the main one that's bald who is like ah oh, that little bastard will find him he won't know what hit him and then immediately as soon as he says that this explosion hits the side of the building and again it's like an alien explosion because it's like black smoke but there's like electricity like in the black mm-hmm. smoke so even the explosions well, look kind of cool I like the cool. design of it yeah yeah I was into it. I like I like the di- design of the the weapons too. They look like they could be something from like um I never played it but like Mass Effect or like a video game. Yeah. Where it's like we got we got alien weapons or space weapons, you know, they're like bright orange and white colored like old sci-fi. And they're c- colorful. Um, yeah. They're so, cool. Yeah, back to the color scheme of the movie. I I love this part also because like even with the demonstrations of the weapons that we got earlier, I I was still like but it's still just the two of them and they don't seem like fighters. So the fact that the first explosion you see with them going into it, it's just a giant thing that takes out a bunch of people at once. You're like, okay, now I understand that they're probably, they probably have the advantage. They've got a chance. Yeah, they've got a chance. (laughs) I think, yeah. And obviously it's worth mentioning here that even though it feels like, you know, by admitting that the district tends a concentration camp, Wickes's goals here are still personal. They're still for him. He still like his goal is still mm-hmm. to fix himself. Um, but there's a that's actually when he first get t- t- took it taken in here. Uh, when he was brought in with the arm earlier on, he did look around and see like some prawns like lying dead on tables and said, "Wait, what are you doing to these prawns?" Because so we actually believe him in a minute when he says he didn't know that this was going on. Like he never knew they were being experimented on. Uh, you know, cr- you know all this crazy like big business like doing science experiments on the prawns and to try and like i don't know extract valuable dna or figure things out or probably just find a way to make the weapons work kind of thing if nothing else or like a a weakness for the prawns just to eliminate them with a virus or something but they're you know they're 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 going through the halls and they're they've got each other's backs and so it's a really fun scene of them blasting with these big like weird alien weapons but I think the heart of the film really is this moment here where they get in, they get the goop, and they're about to leave, and Christopher notices his friend from earlier in the film lying dead on the table, and he's been, like, dissected and, like, burned and whatever else. And he sort of stands there looking all sad, and the music's getting kind of emotional, and Wickes is, like, having to take cover because those guys shooting at him, and he's kind of yelling. And I love this because you don't get really that much screen time with Christopher and his friend before his friend dies or even that much time with him and his son but you get enough that there is like enough of a character there that you're like mm-hmm. okay I don't really know what his likes and dislikes are I, I I don't get to know those types of things about him as a character 
but I know that he wants to save his people. I know that he wants to protect his son. And I know that he cared about his friend. So this moment actually hits for me. And I love that the line that snaps him out of it is Wick is saying, think of your son for F's sake. And that's the moment where he just, he, he breaks out of his trance and he goes into action and he starts making a bomb to get them out. Like, I, lo- yeah. I loved everything about this, like, this minute of the movie. It just, like, okay, this is kind of the moment where I'm like, oh, this has got me. I think the first time I watched it, this was where I was like, you know what, I think I'm super invested in this now. Like, I really care about them helping yeah. each other. I wonder if this is the moment also where, um, where Christopher, like, decides that he will help, um, our other guy. Wickus. Wickus. Wilkus. Wickus. And, uh, Wickus. And <laughs> I haven't had to say the name yet. <laughs> um, they say it so fast in the movie, too. Um, yeah, so I think this is when he's like, I, w- I can help you, but right now because of all this my priority is my people and you're just gonna have to wait yeah well he, he reveals that when they get back to his place uh later so there's a bit of a car chase where they're being chased by the military but they get back to his place and he's like yeah and from the implication it sounds like he could have done it relatively quickly but because yeah. because he saw the slab and he saw what's happening to his people he's like i'm sorry but i have to go and get help first but I will come back, I promise, in three years. Because that's how long it's going to take to go home and come back with, like, reinforcements. Equal bait. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But not really. Um, <laughs> but, like, I promise I'll come back and help you, but it's going to take three years. And, you know, this makes Wickus angry, and he hits him, he knocks him out, and, like, goes down and lies to his son that his dad's going to be along in a minute, but he has to, like, start the ship. And he tries to fly the shuttle up to the ship himself, and, you know, he gets a little bit towards it but then of course uh they have a rocket launcher and they they knock down the shuttle so it doesn't get very far like the military come and get them and it's like this you know this is very much your lowest end of i mean we're not really maybe we are still just at the end of act two at this point but it's, it's definitely that low moment where it's like you know they've betrayed well chris didn't betray him but he definitely went back in his word a little bit and wickus is just like acted angry and is out for himself again and is lying about things yeah, he's selfish and he can't believe that he has to be, he's not prioritized yeah. because he's in pain, even though he's watching everybody around him die. Yep. Everyone who looks like him now, because he's turning into one of them. So like, he's still not able to, to release that selfishness in him where he can like, he doesn't understand that he is lower. Like this is more important right now. Yeah. And that's something I mean, like- he can wait three years and be fixed apparently too. So. Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, we've even said, actually, the overall thing in the movie, which it makes literal, is that he literally becomes one of the aliens, you know, and that's like, fits into the theme of him, like, sympathizing with them over the course of the movie. It's making it literal yeah. that he actually gets put in their, their shoes, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, the military grab him because he's sort of, like, lying injured from the crash. Uh, notably, they don't get the kid, though. They don't even know the kid's in there, the little alien kid. Um and they get ambushed though because the gang like they really want wickus back so we get a big like fight between humans which i also thought was quite an interesting little thematic thing is that ultimately what lets them succeed by the end is the fact that there's two factions of humans who are fighting over the weaponry and like being able to exploit them in their own way Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh yeah this is like you know it's, it's just another commentary on humans that there were you know even the separate groups all want to do nefarious things for power they want to have the advantage they want to have these benefits kind of thing um so 
all that stuff's great but it, yeah the fight for more weapons and like the fight for power is just uh, cyclical <laughs> so wickis ends up in where the gang's stuff is and the kid christopher's kid has actually started playing with the computer on the shuttle and he's basically maneuvering the big ship over the top of it um, but he also, and I think it's him that does this, he basically, like, helps Wickus out by turning on the mech suit, the alien mech suit that's in the uh, the gang's place, and it kills mm-hmm. some of the bad guys. And then Wickus doesn't right away, right? But he makes a choice out of fear to get in the mech suit so he's protected. And he goes out, and Christopher's lying there handcuffed, and the bad guy, the main, like, military bald guy, who's become kind of like this primary antagonist for the movie, um Mm -hmm. calls wickis out but wickis runs away in fear and he's like yeah you run away you coward um and they're going to kill christopher johnson he's like well if he's not going to speak if he's too smart to give in and tell us what we need to know and why the ship's moving then just kill him and wickis hears this in the mech suit like you know it like you know there's like tech in the mech suit that lets him hear it from like a bit away and he makes the choice to come back and save him and this is truly the heroic turning point for the character where he's like no I'm going to protect you. I'm going to let, get you to the ship. And more importantly, I think the line that hit me was, I'm going to get you to your boy, right? Mm-hmm. And he, like, he's like, Chris, grab a shield, which he does. And we get this great sequence of him running behind them and just blasting the mech guns at guys. And they just explode in a pool of blood. It is beautiful. <laughs> it is very gory. Lots of... Uh, I, I just... I love it when a, when a human is depicted as just a... a... <laughs> A balloon filled with blood. <laughs> well, what's great about it is, uh, I think it's the the gang leader who. Oh, I know which one you're going to. Go yeah, with. where like it's the first weapon the mech fires is like a canister that goes into his mouth, and you can actually see his head like bulbing like a balloon for mm-hmm. a second before you get the wide shot where he just pops. Yes, it's lovely. <laughs> it's almost like light is kind of trying to escape through his head physically. <laughs> oh i love it it's just it's just fun and playful it's it's an aesthetic that i think we are more used to in video games that at least at this time had not appeared on a movie before you know and in this way and i think obviously blumkamp is like a fan of video games right because he was supposed to do a halo movie after this well he did a i believe he did a halo did he do a short film no this became the halo movie that didn't come out right well, I don't know about that. He did a short film called District 9, which this, it was then developed into this. But he, I think he was developing a Halo movie at one point. Um, I don't remember the exact specifics, though. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think this was originally the Halo movie. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Okay. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that, that's, like, you know, when I talk about, like, everything being set up earlier on with the different factions, where the weapons are... But the heart of the film, like, all these things just pop off perfectly where you've got an antagonist that you hate that you can't wait to see get killed. And he gets killed with a bunch of prawns ripping him apart. And they save Wickes at the end, ultimately. But you've also got the heartfelt moments of, like, Christopher saying, I don't want to leave you to, to Wickes. And after he's been because he gets hit with, like, a lot of big high-caliber sniper rifle shots. So the mechs are starting to, like, break down and it's, like, struggling. And he's like, no, don't make me have went through all this for nothing. Get to your son save your people and it's like truly selfless and i think the, the two big things that stick out for me is the obvious one which is that he went from being this guy who looked down on them and exploited them for his own gain in his career and basically just bought into all the propaganda that he was being fed to you know sympathizing and being more of a, a empathetic human being that's great 
The other part of it, though, which I think is maybe a little more subtle, is that for the first time in the film, he's fighting for something that he tr- believes in himself. Like, you know, everything mm-hmm. early on, it's for his career because he's been told that this is what we're supposed to do. He can't stand up to the military dude. So it's important at the end that when he's making these big moments to save Christopher Johnson, he's standing up against the guy who basically bullied him at the start. And he's saying, no, I'm standing up against you. In the same way that Chris and the, the prawn hopefully will stand up against the humans, he's standing mm-hmm. up against the human that's putting him down. And, like, so I think, like, part of this, like, why I think the film's got a complete arc is that it's the arc of, of this character of Wickes ultimately, like, f- believing in something and be willing to fight for that belief. And it's why he's such a coward beforehand, because he doesn't really believe in anything. He doesn't know what he believes. And yeah. I think all that stuff's really beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, it was hard not to think of um, Edge of Tomorrow as well. Well, I watched this one again. I know that came out after, but I think there is quite a bit of influence on the character of... Uh, uh, well, whoever Ethan Hunt is playing <laughs> in that movie, I can't remember his name, but like, there there is a lot of parallels with the um, w- with the live die repeat character and um, Wilkes, Wicked. I love how you said Ethan Hunt and not Tom Cruise. I, you know, I got Fallout or not Fallout. Um, whatever the next uh, James Bond. God damn it. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. <laughs> Someone, impossible. So, someone play late. that uh, does not compute like dial tone sound because uh, I think Tara's <laughs> brain just broke. It did. <laughs> it did. I was reaching for a thing anyway. Yeah, I love that when Chris does get to the ship and they're going up to the big ship, um, the main bad guy's got a rocket launcher and he goes to fire it and then like, the last thing Wickes does in his mech suit is with the hand, he just grabs it and catches it and just throws it yeah. to the side. Like a fly ball. Yeah. <laughs> It's just such a good moment. It's like that to it's me. Great. Yeah, that's the Hulk catching Iron Man of this movie. That's what that is. That is like you didn't quite get oh, yeah. that it would be that simple. Pump. Yeah, like I'm just so into everything in the last act of this movie. Like it sets it up so well. It gives you a character who genuinely goes through a change in multiple fronts. It gives you an alien that we sympathize with who does seem to care about our main character and promises that he'll yeah. come back and help him. And I believe him. You know, I I don't see any reason to you know discount them and i think part of the reason why i'd be hesitant for a sequel is one how there's no guarantee the quality would live up to what this is but secondly honestly the ambiguity of like yeah what happens when they come back like you know they they sort of like touch on that in the interview stuff at the end it's like does he come back and just like with you know a lot of ships to take everyone away you know the aliens away does he come back and declare war does human do humans deserve it and yeah probably <laughs> yeah like there's a lot of uh questions but it's also that thing where in the end wickes was genuinely good to him and tried to like you know basically was about to sacrifice himself to help him um and, and that's the other thing the bad guy like when he sees wickes come out the mexico because by this point his eye one of his eyes has started to change so he's like more close to being one of the prawns and he calls him a half breed he calls him filthy and it's like he was a human three days ago and like you've just completely changed how you look at him in that time because mm-hmm. of an accident that he had no control over and there's just this lack of any emotion towards it yeah it's almost like he's glad that he got turned so that he can treat him like the prawn that he yeah. wants to yeah like absolutely he's just a monstrous person <laughs> who's the real monster <laughs> 
I mean, I feel like most movies make a point of saying by the end, man is the real monster. This movie opens with that. It does, yeah. <laughs> and then by the end says, no, but some of us are all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I really, like, appreciate that. Like, all those little things, especially in this viewing where I was, like, paying attention to, like, Wikis' character arc in ways that I hadn't really thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of depth there and there's a lot of layers to it on top of just all the action with the alien tech and the mech suit all being like just fun and well shot and because it is lower stakes when those big guns start firing and just blowing people up it feels like a huge deal right as opposed to seeing like entire cities like be crumbled and stuff it's like ah it's just it's just destruction porn at a certain point and you get numb to it whereas every yeah. single no, time one of these people goes splat you're like yeah <laughs> like, this is what we want this is it's fun so no i i agree it was such an exciting find you know i mean not that it didn't have hype by the time i saw it it did but like getting a new director in a sci-fi with such a unique voice was so awesome too bad about the next one but you know, I, I probably like the next ones more than most people do, but they are very, very flawed films. Uh, so I do look forward to talking about them at some point on the show, because I think there'll be a lot to discuss, if nothing else. I mean, I agree with you in that this does feel like a complete story, and you can leave it there and just, you know, the the journey that uh, Wickes goes through is an, enough to be like, this is the message of the film, and, um, and, and that's all. It may be a sequel could mess with that especially since the director is inconsistent and if you get a sequel to a movie that's really great then it could be very disappointing but i still think that there's a lot that the, the, a sequel could be ripe for commentary like you say and i think there is there's a places sequel that, there that could be great i think it reminds me of the matrix a little bit and that the matrix like it probably more so I, th- I feel like this is probably more open for sequels than the matrix was in a weird way but i mm-hmm. think both this I I think both this and The Matrix have the thing where it is a perfectly complete story, but there's an obvious plot thing to do. So a lot of people who are... <sighs> I'm trying to say this without being insulting. A lot of people who <laughs> just look at plot and just look at plot beats and nothing else just assume that there's going to be a sequel because there's obvious, like, you know, we have to see Neo, you know, you know go further now that he's got all these powers. We have to see them come back for a District 10. Like... Mm-hmm. I think they both share that where the story's done, the thematic arcs are closed, and it's a perfect movie ultimately at the end of like everything it set out to do. Um, it doesn't need a sequel. I do think this one like does offer, like you say, a lot of potential commentary and what you could do with a sequel and like the. But that that is like that is a. I mean, this film's already tackling very tough subjects and doing it in very, you know, very uh, upfront ways. It's it's not like hiding things. It's not. And I would even say it's beating you over the head with it. It's just not pulling its punches. Like, it, it, it is straight up saying, look at how awful they're being mm-hmm. to these these aliens. The, the commentary is quite obvious. But I think if you do a movie where, like, okay, what if they came back and they actually wanted to have a war? Like, how do you, like, balance that from a storytelling perspective to make the humans see the nuance of, like, siding with either side and the understanding? I, I guess it would effectively have to be something that's kind of like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes where you have like sympathetic characters on either side and the hope is that they're going to see a solution at the end that st- stops it being a war that mm-hmm. I, that's what i would probably assume it'd have to be but then you want some action because it's also an action movie so you know you have to have something there as well 
but I'm 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 sure it's possible. But part of me is like, you know what? This is perfectly fine if this is just a standalone <laughs> film that never has I, any more. I agree. Like I I agree. I'm satisfied with the story, and I think that it works as a standalone. But like I said, I think there is still room for more storytelling in this world. So if they if they want to, I won't be upset if uh, they announce that that is his next movie. Neil Blomkamp's going to make a District Ten finally, and well, Char- no. Charlotte Copri is is involved. <laughs> Copri? Who's Copri? I don't know, man. I, just, I it's a hard name. Copley. I, Copley. I, I, I struggle with these first then, but Copley, I, I find easy enough. I forgot what it was. I, I was so concentrated on. Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I forgot what the last one. Is. I believe Blomkamp's doing a RoboCop movie. I, I think that's still what's next on his plate. So hopefully that okay. sees the light, because <laughs> yeah, I think he would he would fit with that that world. Uh, and I mean, ways. there was basically an Ed Two Hundred Nine in this, and that's where like the motion capture thing kind of picked up too. Like that's what makes me think, oh, RoboCop. <laughs> I no, I didn't get Ed Two Hundred Nine because that that's not a. I was thinking way more power loader from aliens because it's a mech so that someone's in. You know, it's someone someone's wearing When you first this. see it though, it, it's like uh it's just a giant mech, right? Walking around and it's got before you see the uh before you see him in it. Mm. And I think that it does like it does go into a um uh like stop motion and then it opens up and you see that there's a there's a prawn inside it. Yeah. That's operating it. Yeah, I don't know. That, it felt way more like a James Cameron like type of thing to me, just because he's had both like an Avatar and Aliens. He's had like various mech suit ideas. Um, I, honestly, I think it was just the mixture of the big machine with big legs and the uh, and guns I, <laughs> and the stop motion that made me think Ed Two Hundred Nine because the stop motion is kind of part of that character. I think Ed Two Hundred Nine for <laughs> me, like my, I think his defining feature is how top heavy he is. So I never thought of Ed Two Hundred Nine because he's a very top heavy mech. Like robot, I know, at least you know? to his demise. Yeah, yeah, he stumbles uh, down down the stairs. <laughs> his one weakness. He's Gadalic. He just can't go down the stairs. Um, yeah, yeah, like you know, and obviously the heart of the end is that you know he's left. He, you know, the wife says earlier on that he makes things. He he would like to make gifts for her, and like as a prawn, he's left this metallic flower that he's made out of junk and left it for her, and she's kind of hoping that that came from him, but she's not sure. You know, she's. Everyone tells her that it can't possibly have come from him, but the final shot is him making this flower. And I think there's there's almost this thing where it's trying to like sort of make clear that that part of his life was always like genuine. Like his love for his wife was always the good part of him when everything else was corrupted by, you know, the the, the company, by the system, yeah. by everything else. Like that part was true, that part was real, and that's still there even after all this time. Yeah, and I think because uh because we like her, you know, she's clearly a good person who, you know, is, is, has definitely been ra- raised in privilege at this, at this time, but has a lot of sympathy and seems to also really love, um, Wickes, even though like her father doesn't approve and all that. And I think, uh, I think because we make sure that she is not corrupted by that, that, uh, the love story also works much better. Yeah. And you know, because if she was kind of a trash person, then, or, or just like you know, like her father or something, just uh, then I think you know the the love story wouldn't work so well, or at least the his hope for going back to her wouldn't seem so like desperate. 
Yeah, it's honestly it's quite impressive how economical the movie is by setting up so many like these like threads that don't really get that much time individually, but they all kind of add up to like paint a really full world around Wickus, you know, like his wife, his father-in-law. Like I wouldn't say any of these characters get a ton of screen time, but they all get enough that all fit together really well. That it, you know, they all serve what his story is. And even you know, like I was saying with Christopher Johnson and his son, that you get enough to sympathize for them. But they're, the importance of them is what it does for Wickes' story, because it's ultimately always his story. Um, but no, I I, I love that. I think it's it's so funny to me that it looks as good as it does, and it's so satisfying in a way. You know, we just did all the Transformers movies. I think that's a good comparison point, is that this is a movie where it's a human main character, and then the aliens who are arguably the money, you know, characters that we're all excited to see, because they're aliens and look cool, and in the mech suit and all that, that this gives you a compelling character and then all of those other things fit into his story and mm-hmm. make his story work. And his story is nothing without them. So they all feel important, even if you're not seeing them constantly. That, you know, like, you could only dream of a Transformers movie that feels that, like, tight from a script perspective, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a spoiled. I, I think it's a super impressive film that... Uh, if anything just gets better when I see it because I can pay attention to the subtleties, I can pay attention to like how it does certain little things and um but I always have fun with the big action moments and the the heart of the movie always hits me. Like it's the perfect mix. It's it's like I even know like obviously it's science fiction, but like it kinda works as a blockbuster, even though it's a low budget movie. Um it works as a like a thoughtful science fiction film, even though it's got a lot of cool action. <laughs> it it, it kind of mm-hmm. works as uh you know it, it works on all these different fronts and is just a great time. Um, so. um, I want to say, like, I know Chartel was, like, uh, was, like, the breakout star from that. Like, everybody loved him. But he didn't, like, go on to do as much as I would have liked. Obviously, he's in the other ones that uh, Bloomcat did with him. But, like, also... Well, I did. I did see the A Team, and he was in that, which was fine. It was not that great of a film. I mean, he was the best part of that movie, though, notably. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he's not got like a huge prolific career. He's he's done more Blomkamp movies. Um, he's got some TV appearances. Um, he was the lead character in Powers, which was the one PlayStation original TV show. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a small PlayStation TV. Yeah. There was a small period where they were going to make originals like Netflix, but only lasted like two years. And mm-hmm. I think their only show was basically Powers, which was based on a Bendis comic that he was the lead in. And it got a second season, but it felt like it only got a second season so they could say, yeah, we're doing fine. This is like a thing we're going to stick to and commit to. And then they never <laughs> made any other shows. And then that was it. It was cancelled. It was gone. Yeah. Um, and for some weird reason, despite the fact that PlayStation is a worldwide brand with a worldwide like system and like network, it was only available in the US. Oh, have you not seen it then? I think I eventually saw the first episode. I think I did see the first episode, but it wasn't very good either, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> and I wanted it to be good because I like Copley, but uh, it was yeah. Only... I just think that he's such a like such a star. Like after that, you know, and. It's just such a shame that he just was forgotten. It's really a shame that he wasn't nominated for Best Actor. 
yeah. <laughs> Oscars. The last thing I saw him in uh, from 2016 was a movie called Free Fire, which uh, honestly had a great premise, and I was then disappointed that I didn't love it. But it's got it's got him, it's got Brie Larson. Uh, it does have Army Hammer, who we don't like to think about as much anymore. But it's got Kelly and Murphy. Yeah. Okay, I remember this movie. Yeah, they basically they're all in a room, like and got like a gunfight that lasts the whole thing. Yeah. Um, which sounded great on paper, and the trailer looked cool, and then the movie was just okay. Like, it, it didn't quite live up to that. I did not see the movie, but I remember the movie. I remember the trailer. Yeah. I remember it coming out. Yeah. I think the... the yeah, the, I, I think I get him confused sometimes with, like, Reese Darby. I think they're very similar in, like, the kind of characters that they play. I know they have different accents, but, like... Like I can, I can see the Jumanji movie, and like the guy driving the the jeep or whatever is Chartel Kopi, but like it's not him. You know, I I think it might be Reese Darby, it might be somebody else. Like he's a good caricature actor, but like I feel like they, I don't know, maybe Hollywood's doing Reese Darby and putting Chartel aside for another time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what he's up to. He's he's got a few things in pre or post production. That he's coming out in. Uh, we've got Boy Kills World, Desert Warrior, and Monkey Man. <laughs> I, I don't know what any of those are, but nope. Uh, I hope they're great. I hope one of them at least is a masterpiece. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually a little bit curious. Let's uh, have a look. Monkey Man. A recently released ex felon living in India struggles to adjust to a world of corporate greed and eroding spiritual values. Directed by Dev Patel. Was it expecting oh, interesting. that? He's also in it, uh, as well. Uh, okay. I, I mean, that's interesting, if nothing else. Uh, Boy Kills World, a dystopian fever dream action film, <laughs> follows Boy, a deaf mute with a vibrant imagination. When a, his family is murdered, he is trained by a mysterious shaman to repress his childish imagination and become an instrument of death. <laughs> this stars Bill Starsgard. Oh, and Jessica Roth. I like her from Happy Death Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Femke Jensen's in it. Um, I don't know the director of this one. I don't recognize the name, but uh, okay, that's on the the BBC sounds, watch pile. Sounds original. And then Desert Warrior, uh, which stars alongside Copley, Ben Kingsley, and Anthony Mackie. Okay. Directed by Rupert Wyatt, who I think did the first, who did Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I want to say. Yeah. Uh. An honourable and mysterious rogue known as Hanzala makes himself an enemy of the Emperor uh, Kishra after he helps a fugitive king and princess in the desert. Not a lot to go on there, but... <laughs> alright, a lot of mystical stuff coming up. I'm alright with this. So yeah, those those are all in various stages of development. Uh, so... <laughs> Come on, this is, this is gonna be your year. <laughs> yeah. Um, or whenever these come out. Yeah. Ah, damn. Robocop's not listed on the upcoming for Blomkamp anymore. Oh, I forgot he was doing Gran Turismo, which is out, like, two months' time. <laughs> that's right. That's it's such a weird... Thing. Yeah, that's such a weird... <laughs> it, that doesn't look like a Blomkamp movie. It just looks like a movie that he happened to direct. Yeah. He likes he likes video games. I, I get I get. I didn't think that meant Gran Turismo, though. It's very different from all the, the sci-fi games that he probably likes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his other film, though, that he's got in development is uh, a science fiction film, though, called They Found Us. During a camping trip in the Utah wilderness, 
To heal their broken relationship, a father and daughter must fight against a hostile extraterrestrial life form to prevent their abduction to an unknown and terrifying alien world. And this has got Joel Kinnaman in it. Well, um, I would say I'm excited, but his last two sci-fis have not been so good. Look, don't, don't sell him short. I believe, I believe that Blomkamp can do it again. <laughs> Just one more time, Blomkamp. Come on, give me another winner. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. That's all I want in life is another, another good Duncan Jones movie and another good Neil Blomkamp movie. You should watch Warcraft. I'm not going to like Warcraft. You know I'm going to hate it. <laughs> Make it a stream movie or something. <laughs> I'm going to hate that thing, and you damn well know it. Anyway, that's the that's the episode, I guess. I guess it's time to rate District 9. Uh, you know, we've talked about other things for the last five minutes, so uh, what are you rating the film? I think the movie's pretty perfect. Um, I don't really have too much uh, to complain about. And, and the obvious allegory there is, is incredibly strong, if not stronger than even it intended to be. Um, yeah, I, I think this one's a 9.5 for me. I actually am going to give it the exact same score. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. 9.5. I, I think I, I'm not quite ready to just slap a 10 on it because that's, you know, that's a big number to slap on a movie. But um, I think... It's damn near close, though. It's uh, I, I think it's a wonderful film. I think it... it, it for, for for me in a lot of ways this and moon in 2009 like i mean not that i was ever out of love with science fiction but it sort of reinvigorated my love of both science fiction and like upcoming directors and indie movies and like like yeah. you know it was just they're, they're both these just fresh breaths of air and i always appreciate yeah. it. it's just why you know i i was like determined to get you to watch coherence back you know a hundred or so episodes ago because i'm like this is that type of interesting little movie that's just so fun and playful and like hey they did this with very little money it's fun it's a fun one to share yeah also. like look at this you probably don't know it don't know it's great uh but there you go that is uh, district nine and that has been episode 200 of the atomic cinema experiment which admittedly does not count any like top tens or countdown episodes or anything like that uh i only numbered the the movie episodes just the movies uh so you know um, also worth that something here I'll just kind of announce um, is we're planning on doing uh, another top 10 in the not too distant future for something that's not a decade right so uh, a couple of years ago we did top 10 time travel movies we are going to do another one like that and we're probably going to spend like a month doing some movies that fit into whatever that theme is whatever that subgenre that we're going to do a top 10 of. Um, and we've got a few ideas of what that could be, but I think, I won't tell you exactly what they are yet, because I think we'll refine it, but I think we'll probably put that up as a bonus vote for patrons, is to pick which subject we're going to look at, you know, so. So last time it was time travel, this time, we'll see what the... I know what I want it to be. <laughs> yes, 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 but you, you're not allowed to say, no, no, no influencing the vote. <laughs> read my mind no. people read my mind no influencing uh but yeah so yeah of course you can support all the content over at patreon.com slash tv um and we're at 200 episodes but we're also at about 50 bonus episodes at three dollars and up you get access to the bonus episode catalog there's a new one every month 
Um, with five dollars and up, you get access to the Ace Meltdown, which is just a, a casual monthly show where me and Tara talk about all the movies we've been watching. Sometimes even what video games we've been playing, and we'll do a little sci-fi movie quiz at the start of each episode, just to keep it a little bit sci-fi related. But um, that's a nice, nice, uh, casual, laid-back podcast. So if any of that sounds interesting, and of course you get bonus stuff for the other shows that are on Male Fuzz movies as well uh, at those t- same tiers. Go and have a look. Uh, and help keep all the content coming but that is the show so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction and computer ad salsa